episode 7 of Your Voice of Wrestling, Wednesday Palooza. Got your rules and your religion all designed to keep you safe. But when rules start getting broken, you start questioning your faith. I have a voice that is my savior, hates to love and loves to hate. I have a voice that has the knowledge and the power to rule your faith. start off by looking at Ring of Honor this week, folks. Uh, we have an opening promo that features the Briscoe Brothers talking about how they're going to face off with Jay Lethal and Donovan Dijak later on tonight. Then we get our first match of the evening. We have Will Ferreira versus Kushida. Uh, great back and forth match here. I'm not familiar with either one of these guys, so this is my introduction to them. Uh, it's a really cool great match. I really enjoyed this. Uh, in the end, Kushida takes the win with some sort of arm submission. Sort of a key lock type move. I'm not really familiar with it. Uh, I'm a big fan of both of these guys after this match. Uh, Kushida also came out with sort of this blue button-down shirt and this red puffy vest. Got this whole Back to the Future sort of motif going. I guess he's tag team partnered with Alex Shelley with a team called the Time Splitters which seems pretty cool. I'm definitely looking forward to looking into that because I was definitely abused by his entrance and, heck, the guy was cool to watch in the ring. Uh, after that, we had Christopher Daniels and Frank Kazarian show up. Uh, here they are known as The Addiction. I have to stop thinking of them as bad influence because this is not Impact Wrestling. This is Ring of Honor. And they say that Red Dragon has an entitlement problem and if they want a tag title shot, they will get one next week and next week only. Why is that? I don't know. This is my first week watching Ring of Honor, so we'll have to stay tuned and find out. Uh, after this, we have Silas Young take on uh, Watanabe. Uh, once again, this was a cool match. I really enjoyed this. Uh, Silas Young reminds me a lot sort of Jake Roberts, and it's not just sort of the 70s porn stash that makes me say that. He seemed very methodical in the ring. Uh, Watanabe, great big suplexes, sort of called him out as he went. Once again, I'm not really familiar with either one of these guys, so I didn't know what to expect going in. But this was a good match. I enjoyed that this one. And uh, Silas takes the win on this with an airplane spin into a TKO. Really cool finishing maneuver. Um, I don't know much about his character, but after previously saying, hey, he seems like Jake Roberts, he's this sort of methodical guy in the ring, to have him turn around and hit the sort of flashy finisher seemed a little bit out of the ordinary for me. Uh, after this, we had BJ Whitmere with the Decade uh, comes out to face off with Moose, who had Vetus Scott and Stokely Hathaway with him. And before this match actually gets started, uh, BJ's on the mic, and he basically like, hey, you know what? You're not going to face me. I'm going to give this opportunity to a new up-and-comer. And he has uh, Adam Page with him, and Adam Page starts getting ready. He's like, nope, nope, nope. We're going to let Kobe Carino take this one out. Kobe Carino, who is the 18-year-old son of Steve Carino, who is one of the commentators. Uh, and Moose is this 
huge monster. And basically, this match starts off with Colby throwing some forearm shots, throwing a couple elbows, finally slaps Moose across the face, and at that point, Moose promptly destroys him. He basically annihilates him, throws him out of the ring, uh, grabs him by the feet in the corner, just slams him repeatedly back and forth into the barricade, power bombs him on the outside, and then rolls back in. I don't know what the count out is in Ring of Honor. I'm guessing it's at least a 20 count, because, yeah, if that was a 10 count, there's no way he would have made it back in time. At that point, uh, BJ Whitmer and Adam Page roll Colby back into the ring with the, hey, you can't win this on the outside, and Colby gets pinned in the middle of the ring, and Moose gets the win. I'm not sure what the story is here with BJ Whitmer basically dodging Moose. I'm not sure if that's an ongoing feud, so that was a little bit weird. But we'll have a little bit more on that in a bit. After that, we have our main event of the evening, which is Jay Briscoe and Mark Briscoe facing off against Donovan Dijak and Jay Lethal. However, when this match starts, we find out that Jay Lethal will not be participating, and he's been replaced by Jay Diesel, who's this, I don't know, pugilist, golden gloves, boxer kind of guy. Uh, I am not familiar with these guys, so the only person I knew going in was going to be Jay Lethal. And having him play a heel character is a little bit interesting to me, because the last time I've seen him was in Impact Wrestling when he was playing up the Black Machismo gimmick. Which, I've seen him work a really strong babyface character. This is the first time I've seen him in a villainous role. I thought he pulled it off really well. Uh, This is also my introduction of Jay and Mark Briscoe, the whole regnet kung fu thing, and I have to say, I am already a fan. I'm enjoying these guys. Uh, this match goes back and forth for a while. Great tag team match. Uh, Jay Diesel basically throwing haymakers for most of it, barking Jay sort of coming back, Donovan's this big guy. Uh, in the end, uh, the Briscoes do take the win with the Doomsday device, which was cool to see. Uh, they get the pinfall. Uh, Jay Lethal's not happy because he's been on commentary the entire time. He's comparing his TV title to Jay Briscoe's world title, which is... I haven't seen the plate on it, but I guess the entire belt looks like it's camouflaged, which is pretty cool. So you can see he's like, eh, this doesn't look like a championship belt. And he holds it up at one point trying to get a heft of it, which distracts Jay Briscoe during the course of the match. Uh, post-match... Uh, the Briscoes lay out uh, both Donovan and Diesel, and uh, more they go, they lay out one of them, go lay out the other one, and Jay Lethal comes in to try to make the save on his partners, which is when Jay Briscoe locks him up in this double underhook into a, a spiked pile driver, I guess called the J Driller, and basically that's how we wrap up our show. So we're building towards this Jay Lethal, Jay Briscoe TV title, world title match. Uh, the other match they've been talking about they're building to in this, I guess, is the addiction being Daniels and Kazarian versus Red Dragon. Overall, I thought this was a cool show. Uh, their opening splash takes us a walk down uh, memory lane talking about, like, who's been in Ring of Honor. It's got Samoa Joe, Daniel Bryan, CM Punk, Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins, AJ Styles, basically showing a lot of the alumni, and these are more people 
that a casually wrestling fan or an Impact or WWE wrestling fan would recognize tuning in. I am enjoying the small arena feel. I'm enjoying the camera being close to the ring. Uh, I really like the fact that it's a vocal crowd. That was really cool. They do run the higher speed, high impact matches that I do enjoy. Uh, there's a couple of weird things about this. Um, I think we had two IWGP wrestlers this week. Uh, believe being Kushida and Watanabe. And I don't know why they're there. It's probably because I haven't seen the last few weeks. Which sort of brings me to my point where, well, I thought this was a cool wrestling show. I don't feel like this was the best introduction of Ring of Honor to a new audience. This didn't sort of explain, hey, who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? What's the ongoing stories? What's the power system? Like, my knowledge of Ring of Honor is all of matches are supposed to start with a handshake and end with a handshake. I think a couple of them did. I don't even think all of them ended in that manner. That could also be out-of-date information. I have not gone and researched Ring of Honor. That's my little bit of information I know just sort of from osmosis. But... I don't know. We'll see where it goes. I'm definitely tuning in last uh, next week. I enjoyed the matches this week. And, yeah, here we go, folks. That's the first episode of Ring of Honor on Destination America. And next on the docket, folks, we have NXT. We start off with our opening package with looks at Kevin Owens facing off against John Cena at Elimination Chamber. And just laying it on thick that Kevin Owens does defeat John Cena cleanly in the middle of the ring. I guess I'm still can't get over that with Kevin Owens. Clean victory over John Cena. Awesome moment. And they even add his promo in there with him with the NXT title standing in the ring looking at the camera. John Cena, let me give you some veteran advice. Your time is up. My time is now. Holds up the NXT title. The champ is here. Beautiful. Just beautiful. And that's the perfect way to start off NXT. It's like, hey, you know what? Our top guy just be the WWE top guy. Awesome way to start off the show. Our first match of the evening, we have Adam Rose returning to take on Tyler Breeze, which I'm dubbing the winner or loser of this contest gets the Tickle Me Elbow suit, due to the fact that Breeze comes out in the awesome gold attire with a red furry cape and the red fur worked into his tights, and Adam Rose coming out in the great big red furry jacket. I'm pretty sure it took at least three Tickle Me Elbows, full size, to come up with that attire. Great back-and-forth match between these guys, uh, with Adam Rose actually playing more of the powerhouse aggressive role for most of this match, which is a difference that we've seen lately, uh, where Tyler Breeze is normally that aggressor. We actually watched Tyler Breeze take a pounding for most of this match. But in the end, Tyler Breeze does get on the offensive with a last-minute beauty shot and does pin Adam Rose in the middle of the ring for the 1-2-3. Interesting here was uh, the crowd pretty vocally uh, calling for uh, 
we want Kruger for Adam Rose being his previous NXT gimmick. I don't know much about his earlier psychopath gimmick because that wasn't on the network, that was pre-network NXT, so I only sort of hear word of mouth on it. I know a lot of other people did like that, but I haven't seen it. Will we see it? That's a good question. Uh, up next, we have Eve Marie, who comes out, cut the small promo, and the crowd just lets her have it. They're mostly playing up the fact that the crowd did not want to see her at TakeOver, and they continue that here with her basically talking up the women's division of NXT, how great they are, how they're revolutionizing wrestling, and that's why she's here. And the crowd let her have it with the you can't wrestle chance and just booing her out of the building. We'll talk more on that in a little bit. After that, we have uh, Carmella comes out with Enzo and Big Cass. Interestingly enough, they did her entrance. It wasn't Enzo and Cass coming out and talking everybody up, hyping up the match. We actually had, she came out with uh, her solo music with uh, Enzo and Big Cass in tow. Alexa Bliss comes out next, looking smoking hot in her new red and black attire. She is, of course, flanked by uh, Blake and Murphy. And we have a pretty good match between the two of these gals. Um, as we know, Carmella is not an amazing technical wrestler. I think she's got a great character. I think she's come a long way. But they're not going to put on the same kind of matches you would see from, like, Charlotte and Natalia. But that's not her character. Her character is this princess who goes out there and, like, gets her hands dirty and brawls and basically kicks ass and takes names. And that's basically what this match was. It was a lot of Carabella basically throwing... Alexa Bliss down, raining punches on her, throwing elbows, basically pretty much fighting dirty, just like getting up in there. Uh, in turn, it was a lot of Alexa Bliss using some more technical wrestling, drop kicks, but at the same time, she comes off with more attitude, which is interesting because Carmella is usually sort of that heel character that you wanna boo, but you cheer her because he's associated with Enzo and Big Cass. But she was pretty on full babyface today, which it was nice to say. Alexa Bliss, on the other hand, turned the whole heel meter up to about 11. At one point, she lays out Carmella and turns and does the little, like, invisible curtsy with the skirt she's not wearing towards Enzo and Big Cass, which I thought was a great little touch, since that was part of her entrance when she was more of a good guy. Uh, and in the end, she actually does roll up Carmella, and she gets to the two count of the pinfall, and reaches over with a little bit extra leverage and grabs the ropes, and gets the three count. Which I thought was cool. I really like Alexa Bliss's new persona. I think this is bringing a lot out of her. I also think her association with Blake and Murphy are ad adding more credibility to their tag team. I think that's the extra secret sauce they've been missing out on. I have seen them with, uh, on social media, the three of them, Blake, Murphy, Bliss, have all these shirts that are BAMF, which, in my mind, goes badass mother effer, 
but I'm guessing it's Blake, Alexa, Murphy, forever? I don't know. I have not seen what this acronym means in their world. I just know that it hasn't showed up on TV, so maybe it's just a one-time backstage something or other. Uh, after this, we get the return of the VOD villains, taking on Jason Jordan and his mystery tag team partner from last week, Marcus Louis. Yes, crazy bald Marcus Louis, who went insane when him and Sylvester faced off with Enzo and Big Cass, and they dumped the hair removal tonic on his head, and he went bald. So he is still bald, he still has no eyebrows, this time coming out without wrestling trunks, like black jeans and a belt and black shoes, and basically screaming and roid raging, and basically being this insane, like, berserker on the ring. In the end... The VOD villains do overcome him and Jason Jordan. They get the pinfall, for they are manly, and the crowd loves them. Put your dukes up at all the other awesome chants. So we'll have to see where this goes. Uh, our last match of the night, we come up with Finn Balor taking on Rhino. Rhino's still out to make his mark on NXT. He's still here to win the title. And most of this match is a pretty Rhino-dominant match, showing just how much of a ragdoll Finn Balor can be. In the end, however, Finn does overcome. He goes for the coup de gras, double foot stomp, but Rhino rolls out of the way, and Finn rolls out of the way. Rhino goes for the gore, and Finn sidesteps him, and rolls him up from behind for the three count. Strange ending. I really don't expect to see the main event matches on TV shows won by a schoolboy roll-up. But it is sort of a surprise, sudden-out-of-nowhere kind of move. I don't know. I'm sort of expecting if Finn Balor is going to face Kevin Owens on July 4th in Tokyo, only on the WWE Network. Cheap plug, $9.99 a month. If he's going to face Kevin Owens and be a threat, he needs to win these kind of matches. But having the wishy-washy sort of win, I don't think doesn't quite doesn't do him any favors. It doesn't really hurt Rhino at this point, because Rhino, I think, is there making the rest of NXT look good, and by default, he looks even better. But we'll see what happens. So where does this all lead to? My first question is, is Adam Rose sticking around NXT? This is his second match in, I think, three weeks in NXT. So we'll have to see if this is a brief little stint where he's going to be here and take off again, or is he going to be here and, like, battle cycle like someone like Curtis Axel did. If I had to be a betting man, I think he's probably done. I think Rhino is sort of the bigger name down there right now who is, quote-unquote, elevating talent even though I think we've established with Owens defeating Cena that they are on par with any of the other WWE brands. We'll have to wait and see. We have Finn Balor and Kevin Owens coming up July 4th in Tokyo. That's going to be a hell of a match. I really can't wait to see that. I know Balor's popular in Japan, so seeing what happens with him and Owens there will be nice. I also think uh, whatever reaction he gets will be amazing. Uh, so, other thoughts on the show. 
Uh, Eva Marie coming out and putting over the women's division, I think, is a really risky move for a couple of reasons. Well, first of all, they followed up her comments with Alexa Bliss versus Carmella. Nothing against those ladies. I thought they had a good match. But when you're putting them over on the level of, hey, you know what? Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch had the best match of the night at TakeOver. And what she's implying is she wants to be a part of that. That was the sort of match that probably should have followed up that promo. I think that would have worked well. I also think debuting Eva Marie in NXT as a wrestler is probably more dangerous than debuting her on Raw. If she showed up on Raw, there would be little to no expectation on what her wrestling skills would be. Debuting her on NXT, especially after that promo, she needs to show up and she needs to knock everybody's socks off. I think it's possible. I've seen some of the clips she's posted on social media with her training with Brian Kendrick. So I hope the WWE knows what they're doing here, because this has the potential to be really good if she shows up and blows everyone away. But if she doesn't, I think it's damaging for her in the long run. But speaking of the ladies, how great is Alexa Bliss as a heel? I think she's found her calling. I enjoyed the whole... Tinkerbell, Snow Fairy Princess thing she was doing before this. I thought that was cool. It was cute. She's a little positive, bubbly character. And I was digging it. And she was putting on awesome matches. But now she's putting on awesome matches, well, with this smoking hot persona, with the cool red and black tights. And she's got the little things that make a heel great. Like, the little curtsy, the, hey, the roll-up with the ropes. I think all of that, like, the pieces are just coming together. Like, I think she's only going to get better, but I think she fits a heel role much better than she does a face. Uh, what's going on with Marcus Louis? Where has he been since he got all of his, the hair on his head removed by Enzo and Big Cass. Do we know? I don't know. I think we'll have to sort of follow the story and find out. But he's like a mini cane at this point. This sort of bald, no eyebrows, ripping people's arms off and beating them with a type of character. We'll have to see if we see more of it or not, but only time will tell. The last question is, is Marcus Louis going to be Jason Jordan's permanent tag team partner? After today, I'm going to guess no. I'm going to go with the idea that we're going to cycle through a number of people for the next several weeks while they're on the hunt for Jason Jordan's permanent tag team partner. And that wraps up NXT for today, folks. Here we go, folks. And for Act 3 of this night of wrestling, we have Impact Wrestling. Uh, we start off with EC3 coming out to the ring with what's probably the most amazing entrance he's had yet, featuring a barbershop quintet doing an acapella version of his entrance song. Pretty awesome. He comes out talking about how he's ranked number one and he wants his title shot. 
Kurt Angle comes out and goes, well, you know what? Next week's Destination X, so it depends if Rockstar Spud cashes in or not. Interesting, interesting. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Uh, up next, we have Bobby Lashley taking on Eric Young. Back and forth match, and in the end, Bobby Lashley does defeat Eric Young with a spear due to distraction from Chris Melendez, who then proceeds to pound on Eric Young. Basically, afterwards, Chris Melendez says, Hey, you know what? You mess with me, I'm going to mess with you. This is the guy whose leg Eric Young tore off the other week and beat him with. He's a prosthetic leg, not actual tearing his leg off. We follow this up with uh, Brooke faces off with Jade of the Dollhouse with Marty Bell. And pretty good back-and-forth match there. In the end, uh, Brooke dodges an attack from Jade, which hits Marty Bell. Marty Bell goes down. And Brooke does get the clean win over the Dollhouse. That is the first time I believe the Dollhouse has been defeated since their formation. Post-match backstage, we see Rebel congratulating Brooke, and they make plans to go out and celebrate after beating the Dollhouse. Then Brooke goes off to shower and get ready, and Rebel gets her ass kicked by both members of the Dollhouse. You'd sort of think she'd throw a punch first, but she sort of looks at both members of the Dollhouse, a little bit intimidated, and then they basically pound on her. Uh, after that, we have the Rising, who go up against the BDC again. And this time, uh, Drew Galloway hits this really cool, he's uh, in the Tree of Woe position with Loki above him. He sort of powers up up out of that, it hits this cool ability, ability, and they hit a double team move, and the Rising does defeat the BDC. We'll get back to this at the end. Then it becomes Spud's decision. He comes out, and Jeremy Borash wants to know, what are you going to do? Are you going to cash in your exhibition title shot for a world heavyweight title shot? Will you be implementing option C? And Spud says he needs more time. Which brings out Kurt Angle, who's like, I've trained harder for this world title run than any previous world title run I've ever had. I'm not going to lose this anytime soon. Spud looks indecisive. EC3 comes out, offers him a lifetime position as chief of staff to go back and work with him. Dixie Carter. Spud turns him down, says, screw it, you know what, it might be a one in a million shot, but I'm going to take it. And we do get Spud, will cash in his X Division title, for a shot at Kurt Angle at, X, at Destination X next week. Pretty cool to see. At that point, EC3 does sucker punch Spud and then rolls out of the ring. Kurt Angle says, you guys want to brawl? You know what? You two there, being EC3 and Tyrus versus him and Rockstar Spud. We get confirmation shortly thereafter that yes, this match will take place. We then cut to James Storm and Mickey James in Nashville. It's Mickey James trying to go to the address of wherever this fancy interview is supposed to be. It looks like some strange place. James Storm shows up, pulls her aside, starts trying to talk her up, tries to recruit her to the revolution as well as recruit her away from Magnus, saying he can provide for her in ways that Magnus can't. She turns him down and says, no, I don't know what you're thinking. Hey, you're not going to come between me and Magnus. That's not going to happen. Family, kids, etc., he says he's sorry, and he'll support her in any way that he can. And then we cut away, leaving them there. Then we have the Dirty Heels taking on the Wolves. Awesome, awesome tag match. Like, these guys are just money in the ring. Both of them, both teams, being Austin Aries and Robert Roode versus uh, David Richards and Eddie Edwards. Awesome match. 
it's a lot of it is Austin Aries trying to get Bobby Roode to cheat. And Bobby Roode resisting, resisting, resisting. To the point where Aries throws the chair into the ring at him, says, go ahead, hit him with it. Rude says no, Rude says no, he goes then Aries goes to the outside, grabs the title, tries to bring the title into the ring, purposely distracting the ref, standing there going, Hey, why can't I bring this title into the ring? At which point Robert Bobby Rude hits the purposeful low blow, followed by the chair shot, and gets the pinfall. And the dirty heels are now have their first win against the two wins of the Wolves. We cut back to James Storm and Mickey James. They're walking down to a platform next to a train. Uh, James Storm says, hey, wait, is that your phone? Is your phone ringing? She goes, no, my phone's not ringing. He's like, well, let me see your phone for a second. She pulls it out and goes, hey, it's not ringing. And then he pushes her off the platform onto the train tracks. We sort of hear a train whistle with the idea that maybe a train's going by. Maybe she's a train in the yard. And then James Storm dials Mickey James' cell phone and goes, oh, okay, here, let me call home. Hey, uh, Nick, yeah, she's not coming home. And then he laughs. So I think the the idea is James Storm has pushed her onto the railroad tracks like some 1970s villain out of James Bond, potentially in front of an oncoming train. It's a bit disconcerting because it was a strange angle as it was filmed from like a security camera. And then we don't really talk about that. We get the next match, which is Rockstar Spud and Kurt Angle versus EC3 and Tyrus. A lot of this match is Spud and EC3 going at it. EC3 showing off versus Kurt Angle. Hey, look at all the slams I can do. Uh, Tyrus being the absolute monster he is, dominating whenever he gets in there, especially with Spud. Uh, in the end, Kurt Angle does hit the Angle slam, but Spud has tagged himself in and Spud does get the pinfall. Spud is celebrating at the end of the night with EC3 on the entrance ramp, looking all upset because Spud is going to face off with Kurt Angle. Spud has, he's on a roll. But Austin Aries comes out and goes, you know what? I'm going to cash in my shot. My shot at the world heavyweight title. And you can just see EC3's face drop. But he's not going to do it tonight. He's going to do it at Destination X. He is going to cash in versus whoever wins Rockstar Spud versus Kurt Angle, which I think is the way to do it. I, I like that concept. I like it better than the Seth Rollins cashing in in the middle of the Brock Lesnar-Roman Reigns match, for sure. It's definitely a much more, I don't know, purposeful moment. It's more conniving to basically just pick the bones of the winner. I like it. So what do we have coming up next? Probably Eric Young versus Chris Melendez. Again, I'm guessing we'll see some sort of a blow-off match between the two of them. Uh, Taryn Terrell is going to fight Awesome Kong for the Knockouts title. I'm guessing after either killing or nearly killing Mickey James that James Storm and Magnus are going to have some sort of a fight. I'm guessing Magnus needs to sort of win that. Uh, and then, act unless we get Mickey James versus James Storm. That would be pretty cool to see. I don't think Impact will give us that, though. And last, but certainly not least, we have Kurt Angle versus Rockstar Spud for the TNA World Heavyweight Championship next week at Destination X, and the winner of that will face off against Austin Aries. We'll have to see where that goes. Um, I'm thinking the end of the night, Austin Aries does walk away with the title. I want to say that Spud somehow pulls it off, and he has that, like, 10-minute reign as champion before Austin Aries basically cashes in and gets his win. So some other thoughts on tonight. 
Um, are we done with the rising in the BBC yet? For either one of these, for this story to work, we really needed an authority figure, and not having an authority figure, I think, has horribly gimped this storyline to the point where it's, it doesn't feel like it's even working anymore. Like, the BBC show up, they fight the rising each week, or one of their members fights a rising member. It's not even like the BBC are a threat against Impact. They're not the NWO, they're not the kings of wrestling, they're not any of the groups that have come in and sort of tried to destroy Impact in the past. They're in this small, isolated feud against the other group that wants to stand up for wrestling. And, I don't know. It just doesn't quite seem to be working at this point. What the hell's happening with James Storms and Mickey James? We're pushing people onto railroad tracks now? I really don't know what's going on there, and that's... I'm sort of intrigued, but an update of, hey, someone pulled her off the railroad tracks and she's okay, or hey, she hurt her knee on the fall, something along those lines would have really brought some better closure to this week. Leaving it that open-ended just sits really strangely. Uh, last but not least, the Dirty Heels. I love them returning back to their roots. There's something very Eddie Guerrero-esque about these guys when they get on that same wavelength like that, which I thought was really cool. And that'll do it for Impact this week. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode. For information on future episodes, please follow me on Twitter at Major underscore Rampage. I also want to thank Kyle and Oliver for our theme song, which is their acoustic cover of Randy Orton's voices. You can find them on YouTube at Kyle and Oliver, all one word. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media. We can keep growing. Thank you very much. I voices in my head, they cancel me.